Good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. Now, online, you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. You just have to search Faith on Hill Church. You'll find us. You can follow us on social media at Faith on Hill. And you can check out our website, faithonhill.com, where we have a live stream every Sunday morning in person. We're at our building on Hill Road. We gather together for Kids Church, worship, prayer, and the study of God's word. And then we meet throughout the week in small groups. But being that it's Thanksgiving week, most of those small groups are on hold. You can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. Now, if you're watching this on Sunday morning and you don't know, it's Sidesgiving. So you could pause this and come on down and have a meal with us. You say, I don't have anything to bring. That's totally fine. Come eat with us. Enjoy Sides Giving. It's our little Thanksgiving side dish, bring and share. And that's going to happen right after church in the fellowship hall. We're going to continue our study in the book of Colossians, looking at chapter 2. Well, verse 1 says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. So this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Colossae. So he's saying, I'm contending for you and for the church in Laodicea. Laodicea is a city. Uh, It's talked about in the book of the Revelation. It was about, if you were walking on a good road, it's about a four or five hour walk. Uh, I'm assuming the roads weren't as good as we have them now, so let's call it a, a day's journey. And these two towns were connected. They were trading partners that probably would have been family People, you you always were related to somebody or knew somebody. If you lived in one town, you'd know them in the next town. The churches there were probably very close, very linked. And so he's saying, I'm, I'm contending for you. Verse 2, my goal is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you, that they, that's everyone he's writing to, may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and Christ in you have, oh, and in Christ, excuse me, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off, or we might say cut off, was put off. Your whole self 
ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us our sins, having canceled out the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's an interesting way to think of it. What Paul is saying there is that the cross of Christ, which was a criminal's death, a humiliating way to die, was actually Jesus humiliating sin and death publicly by taking our place. Paul's also not saying that we are saved through baptism. Rather, he's saying, uh, when he talks about baptism in verse 12, that baptism is symbolic of what Jesus has done. But he says what's very real is the spiritual circumcision. He's talking about, instead of a physical sign that shows that we have been brought into God's kingdom, spiritually, our, our old sin nature was removed, cut away, so that it was no longer part of us. Verse 16, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or new moon celebrations or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So he's speaking of all of these things in the Old Testament, the traditions, the rituals, the festivals, they were all shadows of heavenly things. It's interesting when you read the book of the Revelation and it talks about the throne room of heaven. We see so many things that are in the temple that are in, in real form seen in the presence of God. We see so many things in the old covenant system of worship that foreshadowed what Jesus did on the cross. Verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen and they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Let me put it another way. You died to this world when you said yes to Jesus. Why are you still living like you're part of this old world? Verse 21, these old rules do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on mere human commands and teachings, and such regulations have indeed the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. This is God's word. For many of us, there are moments in time where everything changed. Sometimes it's trivial. I was talking with a friend of mine. He's an older, older brother. And he, uh, he was telling me that he saw the Beatles live on the Ed Sullivan show. And he said there was that moment before. And then there was that moment where Ed Sullivan in black and white TV said, and now the Beatles. And it panned over and there were these four guys from England that were just different. 
You know, musically for me, there are about five uh, albums that, or songs. I heard those songs, I heard those records, and it's just, nope, can't go back now. I can't unhear that. It's changed how I think about music. Remember the first time I saw the music video for Hurt by Johnny Cash, and I heard that song, and I was so blown away by how powerful it was, um, how much it affected me. There's things like that. Sometimes that's like a trivial thing, music. There's things that are even greater and, and far more significant. Uh, the day I got married or the day my children were born. There was before and then there was after. And, and there was no going back. I can't unexperience that. Because Jesus died, we think differently. Last week, we talked about because Jesus died, we are called. And because Jesus died, the call, the invitation has come to all people who will believe to come in and enter. This week, we're going to talk about how because Jesus died, we think differently. When you have those moments where something changes and you can't go back to a time before that. I've always lived in a time where people could walk on the moon. I've never lived in a time where human beings didn't venture out into space. But my parents did. My grandparents did. They knew that time before. But now we're past that. Can't unsee that. One of the big movies that was sort of a before and after for my generation was The Matrix. And one of the lines in that movie, the character talks about being aware of what the Matrix was and what the reality of the world was. And he says, I just want to go back to before I knew that. But you can't. You can't have it turned off. You can't go back. You know these things. And what the Apostle Paul is telling the Christians in Colossae, and he tells us also the Christians in Laodicea, is that you can't go back. You know about Jesus now. You know that you were dead in your sins. Some people don't know that. It's interesting to me. Some people know that they're a sinner. They just intuitively, innately, they have an awareness. I can't tell you why it is with some and not with others. I, I don't know. But for some people, it's no surprise to them to hear that they are a sinner and that there is judgment coming. Other people are going, no, that's not true. And then we realize our great need for Jesus and everything changes. We can't think the same way anymore because now we know the truth. We know the reality of our situation. And we said yes to Jesus and we accepted and we are thinking differently because we are different. I can't think the way that I used to because something has changed. I, I'm now a person who is seen people walk on the moon. I'm now a person who has experienced the birth of a child. I'm now a person who has gone through this life-altering experience. Verse 2, Paul talks about experiencing the full riches of Christ, that we begin to understand, oh my goodness, how much God loves me. We begin to understand the mysteries of God, things that we might have had thoughts, could that be the case? And then we experience Jesus and everything begins to change. We think differently because we are different. Verse 6, we received Jesus and now we live in Jesus. It's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to live in his ways, in his power, in the work of God's Holy Spirit, in the, in the love and the peace and the mercy, in the hope 
I love what it says in the book of Ephesians. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, a hope that this world does not know apart from Jesus. We are rooted. We are built up, verse 7. We are strengthened, overflowing with thankfulness. I'm not preaching a Thanksgiving message, although happy Thanksgiving. But overflowing with thankfulness. Why are we thankful? Because God has given everything for us and given everything to us. We are different than we were before. We are receiving the full riches of Christ. We've received Jesus and now we are living in Jesus. We're being rooted in the kingdom of God. We are being built up. We are being strengthened. We are overflowing. Verse 13 says that we were dead in our sins, the uncircumcision of our flesh, but God made us alive with Christ and forgave us all our sins. Everything has changed. Can't go back. This is a natural response. We had a way of thinking. We had a way of living. We had a way of doing. We had a way of being. And then we met Jesus. And everything changed. You can't go back. You can't be the same. We were watching Prince Caspian the other night. The boys wanted to watch it, and so we put it on. And I thought one of the things that the modern movie does is it kind of explores a little more um, than Lewis did in the book, but it explores a little more what it would be like for teenage uh, boys and girls and older elementary uh, girls in the case of Lucy, what would it be like to have lived as kings and queens of Narnia and then go back to the regular world and de-age and be treated like a kid when you once ruled with authority and led with confidence? And now here you are, nobody, insignificant, How would that be to try to go back? We were dead, verse 13 told us. We were dead in our sins. We were dead. We had no hope. But now we're different. Now everything has changed. We think differently because it's different now. You can't go back. You can't unsee. You can't unexperience. And there are two main ways that this affects us. The first is that we think differently than the secular world around us. Every culture has cultural norms, cultural philosophy, cultural contracts, unspoken, unwritten rules. This is what we do because we're Americans. This is what we do because we're from the Northwest. This is what we do because we're from the South. This is what we do because we're from England or we're from Japan or we're from Russia or we're from Singapore or we're from Brazil. All of these different groups and peoples and cultures. And then within a country, there's like subdivisions, you know, North versus South, East versus West, Coastal versus Midwest, all of these things. Philosophy based on human tradition. In verse 8, Paul says, See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition. What he's saying is, and this was not uncommon among the first Christians, it is not uncommon today among Christians here in 2023. Getting caught up in secular philosophy based on human ideas, human traditions, human thinking. 
We had a certain way of being. And it doesn't work because we now know Jesus. Or as we get to know Jesus and we read the Bible and we're experiencing the word of God for the first time and we say, hey, this, whoa, oh my goodness. You know, there's this idea. I've talked about this before. I'm going to keep talking about it because it's such a prevalent idea. There is this idea that secularism and the rise of secularism means the end of religion in America. I believe that the new secularism is incredibly religious. It is incredibly moralistic. It has righteousness and unrighteousness. It has orthodoxy and heresy. You can be excommunicated from the new secular religion. Let me say this. We've tried and it didn't work. We tried the ways of this world, and it didn't work. And there are many people that are frustrated at a church, and I don't mean our church, I mean the church in general, but at a church that doesn't conform to the new or the old secular morality. They, are, they say, why is it that the church does not agree with this belief that our culture has? Let me, let me tell you this. Every culture has beliefs we'll call them A beliefs, that they share with the Christian faith. Every culture has beliefs that they share with the Christian faith. Murder, bad. Okay, we agree on that. Both of us agree on that. Cool. Um, every culture has other beliefs that they do not share with the Christian faith. We'll call those B beliefs. And what happens, wherever the church has gone, throughout history, in different cultures, at different times, at different places, <coughs> we have brought the message of Jesus. And there have been A beliefs that were easy for new Christians to accept and apply. You believe murder is wrong? We also believe murder is wrong. Easy. You may come to one culture and they say, yes, we believe that adultery is wrong. Easy to adapt. Another culture might have no sense of monogamy, of, of marriage being for a lifetime, of <coughs> of any sort of infidelity being something that is, is grievous. So for them, over here, adultery being wrong, A belief, culture believes that, Christianity believes that. Over here, B belief, adultery is wrong. Culture believes it's no big deal. Maybe it's unfortunate, but it's not a big deal. The Bible says it's wrong, that it's, it's affront to God. It's against his ways. What I'm saying is this. All of us grow up with some sort of secular thought, philosophy, worldview, human tradition. And the danger is, is that we bring it into the church, and we make that the norm. One of the struggles that people are having right now is that they see things in the Bible that don't match the human cultural part of many churches. Or, this is something that's being talked about in, in certain like Southern Baptist churches in the South and the Midwest, and I'm hearing this talked about more and more from their leaders. How, when they open the Bible and speak of humility, forgiveness, servant-hearted leadership. People are pushing back and saying, no, that's nonsense from this other side because it, it's an affront to their secular worldview. 
Many are frustrated at a church that doesn't conform to the secular morality, new or old. But the church has never tried to conform to the secular morality. We've never fully fit. It didn't work. We've tried that, by the way. When Constantine declared that Christianity was the new Christian religion, the faith of the Roman Empire, ooh, that's a hard fit. How do you do that? Because Christianity did not conform to Roman culture. It's a bad marriage. It doesn't work. It's oil and water. The secular norms of this world, whether they're modern or traditional, whether they are right or left, whether they're old or young, you know what? There's going to be some things that these A beliefs, Christianity and, and secular norms, we agree on. There's going to be other things that don't mix. And people are frustrated because they're expecting the Bible to conform to their way of thinking of the world. But there's also religious people who have the same, the same thought. Because just as verse 8 talks about philosophies that are deceptive and hollow and based on human tradition, he says they're also based on the elemental spiritual forces of the world. In ancient cultural thought, they would never have separated the secular, the, the, the secular and the sacred the way that we do. There are people who have that same approach that some take secular philosophy and try to make the church fit into that, try to make the Bible fit into that. There's people whose philosophy is based on human spirituality, human religious traditions, or even demonic influence. And then they try to make Christianity fit into that. They try to make Christianity more palatable to themselves because it needs to fit their religious preference. Verse 16, Paul says, don't let anyone judge you about what you eat or what you drink or regards to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. So what he's speaking of is people who are trying to take the old covenant, the Jewish customs and cultural norms, and trying to put them onto Christians who weren't Jewish living in what we now think of as Turkey, what they thought of as Asia Minor or living in Greece, or living in North Africa, or living in Syria, or living in India, or wherever the gospel spread. And they were trying to take these cultural norms and put them onto these people who they were never meant for. This is speaking of people who either want to take us back to that old-time religion, or they want to create a whole new one. What do I mean by that? There are always people who want to take the old religious forms as if the church peaked in 1920 or 1915 or 1760 or whatever and say, this is the way that Christians have to operate today. We have to sing the songs of a different time. We have to have the religious forms of a different time. The book of Acts talks about prayer, community, the study of God's word, evangelism. Those are all hallmarks of the church. But how that is lived out is different from place to place and time to time. Yet there are people that will try to bring us back into old forms of religion as if that was the only way to have a true expression of our faith. Or they'll try to create whole new things. He says, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse... Uh, in verse 19, uh, 18, he says, there's such a person who goes into great detail about what they have seen and they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head. That's speaking of Jesus being the head of the body of the church. 
there are always people who will come along sounding very spiritual, being sort of like, we're prophets, we're apostles. And then it's like you don't even recognize the kind of faith they're talking about from what we see in the Bible. A very notable uh, expression of this would be things like Joseph Smith coming along, saying, I've seen visions, I've had experiences with angels. And yet it was not you know, in line with what the word of God says. It's not in line with the proclamations, the, the, the declarations, the teachings of the apostles. And there are many people, just like there are people who are frustrated that the church won't conform to the secular norms and secular philosophies and secular moralities. There are many people who are frustrated that the church refuses to conform to their old or new religion. There are many people who are frustrated that the church moves with the times. And you know what? We're, we're open to using technology or a drum machine or a synthesizer or a guitar or whatever. Why won't you go back to the old acapella hymns? Or why won't you go back to choral chants? Or why is it that, you know, this isn't how we did it in my day? Or there's people who want to bring out a totally new thing and we're just going to, whatever feels right now in the moment, will shape it to fit us and totally throw out what we have received and what we know to be true. There are many who are frustrated because they haven't changed their thinking. They've met Jesus. They've, they've heard about Jesus. Maybe they've experienced Jesus. But for some reason, there's been some sort of disconnect where they understand that Jesus is Lord. They understand that the Bible is the word of God given to people. And yet, they have, this is the way I think about this issue. This is the way I think about this thing. And when we are challenged, we fight back instead of saying, Lord, your will be done. When we are challenged, we don't live in the humility that is core to our faith. Saying, let's consider. Let's reason together. Let's pray and ask God. Instead, they fight and are defensive. And I pray that God never allows me or us to be that way. People are frustrated. And when I mean say people, I mean people who would like to be part of the church, but are frustrated because the church doesn't fit the way they want it to be. You know, I'll say this. I've been following Jesus for a long time now. Not as long as some, but a respectable amount of time. And I've never found that God fits the mold that I try to make for him. I've never found that God tries to fit the, the limitations that I try to put on him. And when I get frustrated, I realize more and more and more that I'm not frustrated at God. I'm not frustrated at the Bible. I'm frustrated because I have expected God or his church to act in a way that God has never said he would act. I get frustrated because people, I expect people to be something that they're not. I get frustrated because I haven't, in some area, allowed God to change my thinking. In some area of my life, my thinking, my philosophy, my worldview, I have not submitted myself and surrendered myself to the cross of Christ and said, because Jesus died, 
In this area, I need to submit myself to him because Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross, even though the human part of Jesus did not want to do that kind of suffering and pain and torment. But he was willing to submit himself to the Father. And in the same way, I need to submit myself and say, because Jesus died, because Jesus died, Lord, change my way of thinking so that I might walk conformed to your ways and not try to fit you into my ways. I don't want to be frustrated. You know, there's plenty of things to be frustrated about. There's plenty of things to be frustrated about. But I don't want to be frustrated because I'm expecting something that God never said I should expect. I don't want to be frustrated because I'm expecting something that God never said I should cling on to. I don't want to be frustrated because people are living after Jesus and I haven't allowed my thinking to be changed and conformed and my mind to be transformed into the mind of Christ. And this is a message for all people. I know old people who do this. I know young people who struggle here. I know traditionalists and modernists, liberals and conservatives, atheists, agnostics, all kinds of people who have this frustration and they don't understand this basic tenet. Because Jesus died, because we have received the full riches of Christ, because we are being rooted and built up and strengthened, because we were once dead, but now we are changed. We think differently. Because we think differently, we are going to live, act, talk, move, all of that differently. And there are people who just sit around so frustrated. And instead of being frustrated, I've found this. There are times where I could say, Lord, I don't like this part of the Bible. I don't like this thing. I have a hard time with it. And I have found God to be gracious, merciful, and more giving than I have ever deserved. And more often than not, as I submit myself and say, Lord, I don't understand this. I have a hard time with this. I struggle with this. And God begins to show me why it's there. He begins to change my heart to see hey, this is the better way. And I'll be honest, there are still things where sometimes God just says, take my hand and trust me. But I have never been let down. So I take his hand and I trust him. And if there's something you're frustrated with in the church, in the Bible, in the Christian faith, reach out, mention it in the comments, shoot me an email, say hi. Love to hear from you. Love to talk. Love to listen answer any questions anyone has, or just sit quietly and hear frustrations that anyone wants to share. God bless you. We'll see you next week. I hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving. I hope you eat way too much of everything and you have a blessed time rejoicing in the goodness of God. King